Hello and welcome to another episode of Doom to Bloom podcast. Today we have a special guest, Tan Meet, who is going to talk to us about making mental health more inclusive and how joy isn't seen as this, but should be seen as an accessible right to everybody. Hello. Hi, Jacqueline. I'm really excited to be here. I'm really excited to hear your insight into this kind of domain of mental health, because again, I think it's, it's not talked about enough. So thank you for one, wanting to be a guest and just sharing any of your experiences and all the wisdom that you're willing to share with us. It's, it's part of the grand scheme of trying to make the conversations around mental health more normalized. So I do really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Anything I can do to normalize mental health challenges, it feels like an honor. Well, I'm right there with you. (laughs) And just before we get started, I always like to ask my guest where they are logging in from. Yeah, I'm in Seattle, Washington. Okay. Okay. I just, it's so fascinating to me still that, you know, you click a button, you write your name in and boom, you can talk to anybody from around the world. So I know. So cool, but also so bizarre at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) so I kind of alluded to the topic that we're going to talk about so we're ready to hear your wisdom and experiences whenever you're ready to share with us yeah well I think the best way to start is to tell the snippet of my story so I've been an integrative family medicine physician for 26 years and I've been fighting for health equity, social justice, and taking care of complex mental health conditions in the most marginalized communities. And that's been part of my professional picture. But there was a point where I was nine months pregnant with my third child on top of the world, really, in terms of my spirit. And I found out that my second child had a fatal illness. So it's called Duchenne muscular dystrophy, but it's like an ALS in children. So it's degenerative and then 100% fatal. And it was the first time in my life that I couldn't fight back. So I'm an activist at heart and I'm an activist in my profession. And when something's wrong in the world, I fight. And in that moment, there was nothing left to fight for. There was no cure, no change to be had. And I wondered how I could possibly get through this. And I knew I could muddle through, but I didn't want to. I wanted to thrive. And I didn't know how a mother could do that when she was watching her child die. And it was in this journey, it's not in one day, believe me, if anyone listening, it takes a a journey. But it's in this journey that I realized that being happy and being joyful are different. That being happy is a cognitive evaluation. It's how you're doing in the world. And it isn't wrong. I love being happy. But being joyful is a deep embodied experience that draws on the same well, the deep well of meaning, connection, love, the same well that your pain comes from. And so that's really where this story starts, a sort of understanding of turning towards my pain instead of running away from it. And what I would say to anyone listening is that the beginning of this story really comes from feeling that 
when we talk about happiness and joy as interchangeable completely, what we do is make people feel broken, that we're not good enough, quote unquote, at getting better. And so I think that's a good place to start is just that I have made it my professional and life mission to help people understand that they are not broken. The systems, the world, the unfairness of whatever they're going through, that's the broken part. Your body is just helping you get through it. And it's time to turn that into a way to access your joy. And so let's break that down because that's phenomenal. But how, how do you advocate or support others in trying to convey that message? Because I feel like at least up here in Canada, society tells us, you know, you have to hide every feeling except for happiness and joy and excitement and all of the quote unquote positive ones. Right. How, how do you even begin to go through advocating and I guess just teaching others this? Yeah. So uh, I do this work around the world, actually. So I work um, in communities where man-made and natural disasters have created havoc, disaster, the most unimaginable. School shootings in America, as you know, um, in Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. I've been at hurricane sites in Puerto Rico, wildfires in California, worked with Ukraine psychologists in the middle of the war. These are not people who are going through simple um, things. And even when it's simple, it's too challenging. But we're talking really big. And the first thing to understand is that this is a process. So I can't break it down into a, um, this is exactly how you do it. In fact, in my book, Joy is My Justice, what I do is culminate my all my professional and personal work into that book and show people that there is no one roadmap, but there is your roadmap. And so what I can do is offer you, Jacqueline, and your listeners some touchstones on that roadmap like I do in the book, and they can start to see where they would find that. Does that, does that help? It does. Let's do it. Yeah. So what I first really explain and what I work with people is that you have to get into your body. You cannot figure this out cognitively in your mind. Our, our society in the West is very focused on constructs and deconstructs in our mind. So, you know, if you're, if you're not feeling good, you got to change your mindset. Mm -hmm. If you're not feeling good, you got to, you know, uh, figure it out, you know, use your head, but that's actually not a good way to do it. Therapy and cognitive therapy is beautiful, but it cannot alone solve decades of trauma, oppression, and suffering. What you must do is get into your body. We know now that trauma lives in your body that is well proven by many experts, most notably Bessel van der Kolk, who's written many books, Body Keeps a Score, etc. We know that trauma lives in your body and that your body remembers it. But what I tell my patients every day is that yes, trauma lives in your body, but that's also where it heals. And so what we need to do is come back and connect the two. Now, if you, if you are listening and you are suffering or you have been stuck and suffering, what you'll realize is you're disconnected from your body. You're disconnected from the signals that it sends you. You're disconnected from sensations you feel when you're angry, when you're sad, when you're frustrated. You're disconnected from the unconscious signals that your body sends to your brain that you are 
in fear. And when you can reconnect, when you can pay attention, whether it's through noticing, yoga, walking, moving, breath, there are many ways. I talk about numerous ways, but you need to get back into your body. So I would say that's number one. And that can be as simple as saying, I'm going to actually pay attention to my body while I'm doing other things like washing dishes or whatever it may be. I'm not asking for people to sit for 30 minutes under a bunion tree. That's beautiful, (laughs) but that's not necessary. And what I really want people to understand is that any trauma, any piece of suffering, any oppressive system, how it works and how it gets power is by taking safety away from you in your body. Your nervous system tells you you are not safe and then you are forced to feel unsafe and disconnect more. So every practice I talk about, and some will talk about more in this episode, are about reclaiming safety and power in your body. Because the truth is that every system of oppression, every trauma, they thrive and hold power over you when you do not thrive and hold your power. So that's where I would start. I'm going to stop there before I go on. So stepping into your body and realizing that reclaiming safety and power in your body is actually the beginning of this journey. And so I feel like that's kind of a, a, a hefty beginning, um, only in the sense that speaking maybe from my own experiences, I know that there's 100%, like you said, a lot of trauma stored in my body and I, I can feel it. But yeah how how long or i guess the important part would be to note that there's no timeline or context to what that means for everybody because everybody is different and everybody exactly. feeling safe in their own body is yes this is a lifelong journey for many of us i would say that it feels hefty but break it down to understand that Stepping back into your body means that you might be uncomfortable. That's what you're alluding to, right, Jacqueline? That it might feel hard. It often does. I would say for most of us, it does. To know that that's normal, to know that you are tending to yourself and that in this discomfort, I would say the more trauma you have, the more suffering you've had, the more you need a support team around this. Do it in a safe environment with a trauma therapist, with a regular therapist, with someone trusted. Don't start alone. Tell people you're uncomfortable. This is not a process that you have to do alone. And I think for people to understand that joy is not about feeling better all the time. Joy is about feeling more. Let's start there a little bit. Okay. Joy is about feeling more in your body, more connection, more power. And Jacqueline, I think the big misconception that people have is that when I feel joy or if I find joy, then I'm just okay. That, that, um, I'm happy all the time. See what I mean? The interchangeability is harmful for us. Um, and really what I would say is that I am way more joyful than I've ever been, but I'm not as happy as I used to be because happiness was a binary. It was either here or there. And if you didn't have it, then you were broken, 
right? Mm -hmm. Joyful is a continuum. It's a flowing river between all your emotions. So I'll just give an example. If in a day, for instance, you are feeling hopeless, angry, sad, I just, I mean, this happens to me still. So I want people to understand this. I just spent 10 hours in the children's hospital getting nothing but the most horrible news. 10 hours in different doctor's offices for just straight with a lunch break. That's how this goes. And I came home hopeless, came home sad. I came home frustrated. And what I would tell you is that I, I, I took a long walk. That's not to solve the problem. That's to move my emotions with me. I cried and cried and cried. And I cried really till that into that evening. And what I noticed for myself is that my joy practice is also that crying and understanding that if I'm still crying, then I am still here. I still have my full humanity. I'm not numb to this pain and I'm not, I've not lost yet. Do you see what I'm saying? We have to understand that joy is the full process of being alive to whatever is happening in our lives. Essentially, the gist of what I'm what I'm understanding, and if I'm so far off, please let me know. But what I'm understanding is that you're trying to teach and make others understand that you can feel things simultaneously. Exactly. So the thing is, people are stuck in a binary. Okay, they're stuck in a binary of I'm either happy or I'm not. There's another big problem, which is this toxic positivity world, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. makes us all feel like we need to be okay. We need to be better. I actually talk about this in my book and explain why that's so harmful. Not only does it feel crappy, right? I mean, it you can tell it's harmful because it doesn't feel good. But it actually is harmful because it incites your nervous system further. It actually incites your fear and threat centers. It's taken as a threat because something or someone is making you feel invisible. And that incites your fear centers in your midbrain, in your primitive brain. And it takes you out of your frontal brain, which is your your executive function. So you can't even think clearly. So you just feel like you're under attack, basically. And that is no way to live. And so this way of toxic positivity is that, you know, it's everyone else being uncomfortable with feeling things simultaneously. It's it's everyone else's discomfort from facing pain, right? And we do that to ourselves all the time. We do, I should feel better. I should be over this by now. I, I need to just buck up, right? We do this to ourselves all the time and other people do it to us. What we need to understand is that joy is accessible to us in the same way that it is accessible to us in moments that people have all experienced. I'll give an example. When you're at a funeral for someone you deeply love and grieve, and you are so sad, and in the same moment as your sadness, you also reflect with someone else at the funeral, a moment of beauty or laughter around something they used to do that you loved or irritated you, right? You know, like laughing about people's quirks or, you know, thinking about them and having a moment of deep memory and joy around that person 
while you're also grieving them. That river of pain and joy flow together. The more you access your pain, the more you can access your joy. And so it's not about shutting down. In fact, if you shut down all the challenging emotions, if you shut down to them and say, I shouldn't feel this, I need to just do something else and distract myself, you actually shut down to all the emotions. You're not able to feel the joy either. Wow. I I feel like in you saying that, again, I think it's another societal norm, I guess, if you will, that that we're taught to should on ourselves or should on others. Yeah. 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 And, and there's actually science, Jacqueline, to show that, um, you know, my book is a collection of really inspiring story and science and um, in a very accessible way. But the science shows that if you suppress your emotions, if you actually, you know, this is what we do. We say, I shouldn't feel that. So I'm just going to put that away and I'm going to try to put on a smile. If you do that, you actually incite your nervous system more. It's not just toxic positivity that feels like an attack. It's also ourselves pushing things away that feels like an attack. And it actually doesn't work. So, you know, I tell people now we can't access all our challenging emotions all day, like at our job, at our, right? I mean, we can't go through our day accessing every emotion. Sometimes we do have to kind of put it aside for a moment to get some job done or task done, right? But what we've seen in the neuroscience is that it can be as simple, and I really mean this, as simple as saying, labeling an emotion and letting it be until later, instead of pushing it away. They have actually shown that if you say anger when you feel it, that that actually turns down your threat center and says, it's okay, stand down. It puts you in that executive function from clarity and motivation and change. And it's not about saying the anger goes away. It's just saying, you're there. I see you. I'll come to you later. And instead of that is very subtle, but very starkly different than saying, I feel anger, but I need to just get, I need to feel better. I need to just be okay right now. So wow. I hope that helps. It, it does. I'm just like almost dumbfounded over here. Like I always knew that we shouldn't, shouldn't should on ourselves, but I didn't realize that there was actually, you know, science and evidence and studies and stuff that backed that up. I had no idea. Yeah. And I mean, I would say that <laughs> this is another thing, right, Jacqueline? I mean, if you... I would say it's beautiful that you always knew that. And I would say, trust your intuition. That's actually a way of stepping into our body because what we do is question it, right? I do this all the time. And then I have to reclaim my intuition as my truth. Meaning if, if it feels bad to us, there must be, there must be wisdom and ancient wisdom and possibly science behind it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That we discount our ancient wisdom and intuition. We discount the fact that, for instance, I talk about uh, many practices in the book around in a different lens of equity and this, not this whitewashed wellness world, the way it gives it to us. So what I mean is, you know, we uh, hear all the time that you should love yourself, accept yourself, 
have compassion. It's true. That is powerful work, but it's not about just lying to ourselves and saying, I love yourself. It's about understanding that when we put ourselves down in our mind, when we are self-critical, what we actually do is again, put our body under attack. We actually tell our bodies and our minds and our hearts, stand down. It's not safe out there in the world. And how can we possibly step into the world and reclaim our power and try to be a functioning individual if our body and mind are telling us, stand down, don't go there. It's not possible. So self-compassion is not woo-woo, like love yourself to lie about it. It is real, actual, bold justice. Self-compassion is not lying to yourself. It is saying, I feel you. This is hard. And yet you are safe in this moment, even though the world does not feel safe. Because the truth is the world often is not safe. I would never lie to myself about that, especially as a brown woman. I would never lie to myself. But we can give ourselves nurturing love in the face of that fear and allow ourselves to boldly step out, not because we should or have to, but because we deserve to reclaim safety and power and step out again, even when the world has not given that to us. Wow. I just, I'm so speechless. <laughs> I think, well, let's, let's ask this. What are your thoughts personally or professionally, whichever on self-care? Because yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like that kind of ties into the self-compassion, self-love, yeah. basically fake yeah. it till you make it kind of uh, yeah. approach. Well, here's the thing about self-care. It's like self-compassion and gratitude and many other things. It's, it's gotten bad PR, I think. But self-care, um, the concept that at the fundamental root of it is important. But what I would say is we need real self-care. A manicure, a massage, first of all, aren't going to cut it. Secondly, not all of us can afford it. Thirdly, it's not going to solve anything. It's just going to give you a moment of escape. Now, I'm not saying don't do it. If you have access to that, go for it because it can be a calming, happy moment, right? I, and I'm not, I really mean it. I'm not discounting it. But we have to understand that true self-care is this process of digging down and accessing joy. And it is all free and it is all available to us. This touting of like, you need a vacation and that will solve it is BS, quite honestly. Just stepping out of our lives, getting a break from it and coming back to our lives in exactly the same way is not going to solve anything. And so I don't believe in self-care as it's touted as a commodity. Let's put it that way. It's touted as a, you know, buy my shampoo, that's your self-care. I mean, it is a form of self-treating. I, I And I like, hey, look, I love skincare. I'll do it to myself all day. But it's not, it's not true care unless while I apply that skincare, 
I am mindfully listening to my body. I am calming my nervous system. I am practicing gratitude. You know, I can give you many examples. True self-care is accessing deep, fundamental joy and that well in our body of meaning, love, and connection. If we can connect to ourselves in a moment of a massage or a manicure or whatever it may be, then go for it. You're getting two things at once. But if you think a commodity is going to solve your problem, then it's a delusion. And that's that's another thing that society tells us is, you know, every time, or at least for me, again, when I hear self-care in any any sense of the word, I always hear, oh, go have a nap, go have a bath, go get your nails done, get your hair done, and then everything will be fine. But that's, just as you said, that's absolutely not the case. Yeah. And see, okay, I love that you gave that example. Let's Let's change that a little to make it useful, okay? Go take a nap. Yes. Rest is important and rest is a part of your resilience. Go take a nap with the knowledge that I am giving my body what it needs instead of trying to conform to the needs of this world. Do you see what I'm saying? Go take a bath. Yeah, just taking a bath isn't going to do it. Go take a bath and don't scroll on your phone. Go take a bath and close your eyes and deeply access your breath or a gratitude practice or a guided imagery. There has to be a way that you step into your, both of those are ways of stepping into your body. They're beautiful, but there needs to be more intention around it. There needs to be more practice around it. So I'm not saying a nap or a bath are bad. In fact, they're quite useful. I am saying that the world says you must be resilient. It says resilience is what it asks of you. And then it asks you to do more. Your resilience is stepping into your body and seeing what you need to do to bring yourself back into this world and not to do or be productive or take care of anyone, but to be in this world as the sacred human being you were, you deserve to be. I don't believe in this self-care as a way of, you know, I used to hear this and I used to ascribe to it. Okay. I need to take care of myself so I can be a better doctor, a better mother, a better wife, a better daughter, you know, and on and on and on. I don't ascribe to that anymore. I care for myself because I'm a sacred human being in this world and I deserve it. That is justice. That's so huge because again, a lot of us are, myself included, I'm guilty of it too, more often than not, unfortunately, but a lot of us are just trying to, I guess, maybe for lack of a better word, blend in with, with, Mm -hmm what society tells us and with everybody else. But I think the more that we can stray from the norm, from society's shoulds, um, things will, things will kind of have a domino effect. The more people that can challenge the, the norms of society, especially as it relates to, self-care, which again, I, I'm all for it, but I, I agree with what you're saying. And I also see, again, at least up in Canada, there is an insane 
consumerism. There's an insane market for yeah. profit yeah. on self-care. Not the not the root of it or not the benefit of it, but just go buy this shampoo, go buy this, go buy this, go buy this, because if you use my product, I'm going to feel better. Or Sorry, you're going to feel better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a commodity and capitalism is another sort of oppressive system. I'm not saying that, you know, we don't need to all make money to survive, but it's used against us. And, um, you know, it's this way of understanding that, you know, I didn't understand Jacqueline until um, I worked, like I said, for 20 years with the deepest trauma in the world. And it has taught me so much and my own trauma and my own history. I mean, I had a childhood full of racism and trauma. This, all of this has taught me that if I can be with my life as it is, if I can stop resisting it, and you know, anyone can say that they're not resisting it, but may not recognize they are. I'll tell you how I was resisting my life. I was saying things like, I wish it weren't this way. This isn't, this is unfair. Now, I'm not saying those aren't natural things to say, and we all say them, but recognize they are resisting what is. If you search for fairness, I will tell anyone listening, you will decimate your soul. But if you look for justice in your body, you will save your spirit. And I really mean that. It is unfair. There is no way around it. I, the world is unfair. It bleeds and aches my heart almost. Every, I mean, it feels like it never ends. It's get, it gets worse and worse. And it can make us feel like, you know, that, that there's, we're searching for it to get better and fair. And what I would say, no, I would say, let's all search for our way to find our joy and our justice with the pain, not instead of the pain, that we learn how to live with joy as a companion through the pain so that we can be more powerful, more safe in our body, and we can actually affect change. There's no way to affect change when we're all powerless and hopeless. That's so true. So true. I think we were originally talking earlier about kind of your roadmap Mm-hmm. to this and I think we left off on number one how, yeah. how many other steps were there <laughs> there are there are many but they're not all in order they can be any order you want so that's probably the most important one and then after that you know um I outline them in my book and I'm not trying to keep them secret. It's just that honestly joy is a very personal practice I would say that the the roadmap I lay out, I say are touchstones. Start where you feel called to, and maybe even none of them are your ways, but they're the gateway to your way. I would say the best thing to leave people with is maybe another touchstone of understanding your deeper why. And I mean this, if you do not know why you need joy in your life, it will be very difficult to find it. Now, let me explain. This is actually real neuroscience, but it's also personally, I'm giving you 25 years of professional experience in the world, taking care of people with real trauma and also 20, you know, my own trauma. I'm a human being too, right? So there is science to show that if you anchor in why do I need this, 
it will help you anchor in your practice to stay with it because your brain wants the easiest way out. Okay. It never, it just wants the easiest way. That is the plain, simple truth of all of our brains. And when your brain gets stressed, which it will, when your brain wants to give up, which it will, then you need that anchor to come back to. And the way to find your deeper why is to ask yourself, why do I need joy in my life? Maybe write it down and then say why again to that answer. And again, why? And go down at least six or seven layers. I am telling you, you will find something much deeper. For instance, you may think that as a physician, my why is to help and serve people. That may have been the first why I would have written down 28 years ago, 30 years ago when I entered med school. Yes, you're right. But I will tell you now by doing that exercise, I know exactly why I do what I do. I do what I do because I never felt safe in the world as a brown girl in the South of the United States. I could go on and on about why, but I never felt safe. And I take care of others and help them find their safety in their body so that I remind myself I can be safe too. That is my deeper why. Now, the reason that's important is because no matter how much I love what I do, some days it's just a job, right? <laughs> and some days it's not some, often it's stressful. And often it's tiring, exhausting, tedious, frustrating. There are all kinds of ways that being a physician is really hard, just like every other job. I'm only speaking for my job. But when I have a hard day, when I want to say I'm ready to throw in the towel, I remember my deeper why, and that guides me forward. Just helping people is not enough, but understanding that I'm serving them to serve myself is much deeper. I had to go seven layers down to get there. If that makes sense, I think people should do that and say, why do I, you can phrase it as, why do I want to feel better? Why do I need joy? Why do I, you know, want to live a different way? But you have to search for that because you will never be able to stick with a practice. People think it's that they don't have willpower. You know, just that is a delusion. There's no such thing as willpower. It is our brain's natural inclination to veer to the easy, to go back to what we know best, to go back to what we did for comfort. That is not a failure of us. It is our brain's natural inclination. So go to your deeper why and you will stick with the practice much, much more easily. I feel like I could ask you so, so, so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could talk for a while. What, what, I know you mentioned about your child, but how did you end up getting into, I'm going to say for lack of a better word, the level of trauma work, the level of, yeah. you know, you mentioned you worked in Ukraine and yeah. hurricane and all of that. How did you end up getting to that level of trauma? Yeah. <laughs> I had started that before I got this diagnosis or went through this story, but um, I started that because, again, Jacqueline, I think we're deluded when we think we do things for external reasons. So I started that, I think, subconsciously to help heal my own trauma, but I kept with it because 
the work in it of itself is so healing. The work we I do with others also works through me. And so I kept going and kept getting deeper in it because I, the more I learned it, the work that I do is actually through uh, something called the Center for Mind-Body Medicine. That's where I'm senior faculty. And it's in Washington, D.C. And we work, do global trauma work. And the work is so powerful because you actually also do it on yourself as you're doing it with others. It's it's a I would encourage anyone to look it up if you're interested because you can go be a participant in one of the trainings and you will see what I'm saying. I felt such deep shifts in my own being that I just kept going further and further. And it's been the work of my heart, really. I have kind of a loaded question and I don't know if it's necessarily if there's an answer for it because again I know within this conversation and even outside of this conversation I'm fairly confident that both you and I know that it's different for everybody but do you have any belief in the idea that people need to somewhat be healed to be able to help others Mm, that is a loaded question I think that people need to be in the process of healing. Yes. Um, I don't know if anyone is ever healed, Jacqueline. I don't know if that process ever ends. But I think you need to be, I do think that people need to be in an active process of intentional healing that allows them, let me put the caveat, that allows you to be in company, in companionship, in partnership with someone else in a way that does not allow your healing to interfere with theirs. That's the best way I can put it. I've never been asked that, but that's how I would say it, is that um, it, I hope that makes sense. But basically what I'm saying is that I'm in an ever evolving process of healing. It goes deeper and deeper. But when I am in a process enough that when I am in partnership in a community with others, in groups or one-on-one, their healing is my number one focus. And my process of healing never interrupts, distracts, or takes away from theirs. It's never about me when I'm with them. Interesting. See, I've asked others, and again, I don't know that there is an answer or a, a, a one answer if it's all kind of thing. But I've asked others and they say yes to an extent depending on what kind of area or what field they're working in. And I think for myself, in in working in social services, I work with the unhoused population through mental health and addiction and trauma and legal involvement mm-hmm. and all of that. But I feel like even to some extent – on a personal level, I feel like anybody that's working in, in kind of the similar role that I do needs to have some, not even necessarily maybe even healing, but definitely a lot of self-awareness because then that, then that goes down into, you know, burnout or vicarious trauma or all of those other, those other areas. Right. Yeah. We work with a lot of clinicians like you at the Center for Mind Body Medicine because we not only work in uh, around the world in communities, we work with a lot of healers. And um, 
I think you're completely right. Is self-awareness is a process of healing. It is healing because, um, you know, I think that there's just no way that you can be a healer if you're not aware of your own healing process. That's just, it's not possible. Or let's just say you can't be an effective healer. That's what I would say. I I definitely agree with the effective part. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Only, I guess in more than one sense, but the big one is you can have all of these traumas and want to help others, but a client's A, B, and C that happened to them is now affecting you and you're not self-aware of that, right? Right. And then not only will you burn out, but you may tran- you may have transference back to the patient about that. So yeah, there, it just, you have to be in your own process. Self-awareness is key. <laughs> it is very key. And, um, you know, self-awareness is at the heart, really the whole process of um, being in your body. So that's almost people may know. That's almost kind of like another step then. Oh yeah, for sure. And I mean all through my book we talk about self-awareness the whole time because let's just, you know, people think self-awareness is only a cognitive process. It's not. I mean, you cannot be self-aware if you do not have connection with your body. It's just not possible to be fully self-aware. So from this conversation, I'm getting that we all have a lot of work to do. (laughs) All of us. I mean, you know, and I, and I mean this, it's not just, it's not me standing here talking about this doesn't mean I do this work on myself every day, every day. And more profound work happens, more profound shifts happen all the time. When I think there's not possible that I could do more things, (laughs) it works. And uh, it is this commitment to being human that we must all have that being human is means that we're in this ever evolving process of being aware, being in our body, connecting to our sense of safety, ease and power, and knowing that joy is our companion through all of it. It is not a binary. And I don't know who who named or founded this quote, but it was something – I'm going to have to find it and send it to you later. But it said something to the effect that you can be simultaneously joyful and grieving and simultaneously joyful and – experiencing struggles or something like that. I'll have to send it to you, but yeah, I think, please. I think that quote essentially encompasses everything that you've mentioned. Yeah. And I would love to read it in a very general sense. I will, I'll make a note to send to you cause I'm okay. drawing okay. a complete blank. <laughs> okay. Okay. I know that you've given so much insight and kind of tips and tactics throughout this whole conversation, but do you have anything that comes to mind when I ask you for words of wisdom or support or encouragement? Kind of what's, if any, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear me asking that? Yeah, I, 
I feel like my words would be anyone listening out there to just know that joy lives in your body. It's accessible to you. You can find it no matter what. It You were born with it. No one gave it to you or can take it away. It's really all there. It's just a process of finding it, unearthing it, and connecting to it. I love that. And also to note that there's no timeline. That exactly. Exactly how you've said throughout this entire conversation. It's different for everybody. And timeline is different. Healing is different. Everything is different. But we all, we're all to some degree on that pathway. Yep, exactly. Is there any socials or any websites or anything that you can tell us about that both myself and listeners can continue to get insight and wisdom from you? Yeah. So my website is uh, thanmeetsetimd.com. And uh, I know you'll have a link to it. That There you can find my book as well as um, different services and uh, my uh, quiz. You can actually take a quiz about unlocking your joy, which I have people have really loved. Um, it's just a really easy way to find that first next step for you. And then um, on socials, I'm I'm everywhere, but I'm most active on Instagram at TheMeetsAtTMD again. Amazing. Well, I believe I follow you, but I'm going to go do that anyways, <laughs> because I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. And I really, for, for whatever reason it is for myself, when I learn that there's kind of backing and evidence and support scientifically, medically, whatever the case is in something actually either supporting us or hindering us more. I feel like it kind of fuels my fire to change those aspects, if that makes any sense. So yeah, for I, sure. I would I encourage anyone to get the book. It's called Joy is My Justice. And you can get it. You can find it on my website or anywhere books are sold. So I will definitely be going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to thank you again for being a guest and absolutely everything that you do in the field and outside of the field for others and for yourself and just continuing to normalize these conversations and just bring it awareness to those that may not know. Yeah. Thank you. That, that means a lot to me. Thank you for having me. And definitely from my opinion, the work that you do is very inspiring. Mm, Thank you so much. So I will continue to follow along your journey and see where see where life takes you with all of your experience and knowledge. Uh, Well, I'll be grateful to be in community with you and others who are listening. Thank you. Absolutely. And to both you and the listeners, I'm sending you lots of love and lots of light.